Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Grace and peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ and welcome to worship with Morrisville Presbyterian Church. Welcome to those of you worshiping here in the sanctuary and those worshiping from home. Welcome to those of you who are new with us this morning and those of, those of you who have been here for a very long time. It is a joy to worship with all of you this day. If you are here in the sanctuary this morning, you will find a red friendship folder in your pew. I'm going to invite you to fill that out. If you are new with us this morning, we are grateful that you have joined us today, and we hope you will fill out the information there so that way we can follow up with you after worship. It is a joy to worship with everyone this morning. I also hope that you will take time today to read the many announcements in our bulletin, but I want to draw your attention to something particularly special this day. Five years ago, this church called Rachel Rhodes to be your senior pastor. Through major staff transitions, a global pandemic, and countless other joys and concerns in the life of this church, Rachel has been a rock for me, for our staff, for our beloved community. She has led us with compassion, creativity, and an infectious energy. So today we give thanks to God for the journey that God has placed all of us on as we walk together. And we will do that gratitude, we will give gratitude to God this way in a couple of ways today. Tim has selected an anthem and we will all be singing a final hymn in worship, both of which were in Rachel's installation service five years ago. Also, we invite everyone to gather in the memorial garden after worship as we celebrate Rachel's leadership there. And I promise that there will be cake, so all are invited. Also, Patrick and others from the PNC will uh, provide a gift on behalf of the congregation and the personnel committee. So, Rachel, will you come up? Morning. On behalf of the personnel committee, your pastor nominating committee, and the congregation, I'm thrilled to congratulate you, Rachel, on five years in ministry here at MPC. Uh, Rachel, on your first day preaching in this sanctuary, you reflected uh, on our first in-person interview uh, with the PNC. Uh, Caroline began our time together that evening with a beautiful devotion and read verses of the hymn, God the Spirit, Guide and Guardian, and you mentioned that you were particularly drawn to the last verse. Triune God, mysterious being, undivided and diverse, deeper than our minds can fathom, greater than our creeds rehearse, help us in our varied callings, your full image to proclaim, that our ministries uniting may give glory to your name. You said, I was drawn to this verse because it has been my fervent hope and prayer that wherever I go in ministry, I might find myself uniting in ministry with a church that echoes the sentiment of this hymn, seeking to proclaim God's love and bear God's image into the world. In that spirit, we offer these words of gratitude. Dear Pastor Rachel, thanks be to God for our united ministry. We are abundantly grateful for the five years that we only hope have affirmed your calling to us and your calling to ministry. We know it hasn't all been easy, but we are sure that God's name has been glorified. With deepest gratitude, your MPC family. And we have a small gift for you. Rachel, on, on behalf of the MPC Nominating Committee and MPC as a whole, we present you with this gift and memento. When we first met you, the Nominating Committee knew right away you were the right person at the right time for this church. And certainly the last two years, 
with your spiritual leadership and guidance have borne that out. So thank you on behalf of all of us. community, let us pray. God, whose voice echoes across eternity and can be heard in the call of those who follow you, we give you thanks for the journey that you have placed us on as a collective body of your faithful people. We give thanks for the gift of your child, Rachel, for the unique offerings she generously shares with us in her leadership, for her creative energy for her vulnerable leadership, for her compelling words and charismatic spirit. We pray that we may continue to grow with one another, and we give thanks for your work in her and in us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Amen. Let us worship God together. Please stand as you're able and join us in our responsive call to worship. We worship in the Easter light, for Christ has triumphed over the shadowy grave. We venture out of our homes and rooms to proclaim the good news of new life. Let us join our voices with the disciple Thomas, my Lord and my God. Easter people, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Please continue to stand and join us using the hymn number 246, 246. Christ is alive.
Beloved church, how often have we heard the good news of forgiveness and restoration? And yet we are still reluctant to believe. God offers us new life every day in some, yay, in some way, yet we are afraid to let go of the old. And so together, each week, we confess our doubts and our fears to the one who waits to make us whole. So please join me in our prayer of confession as it is printed in your bulletin. O oh God, your love is boundless and your grace exceeds our imaginations. You keep finding ways to be among us, even when the doors of our hearts are locked. Graciously, you seek us out. We cannot hide, but we can confess that sin has us in its grip. It has led us from your ways and corrupted our best intentions, tempting us to believe that you don't notice, that you aren't even present. Correct our vision, cleanse our hearts, create in us a place where we can welcome you and receive the fullness of what you have given us in Jesus Christ. Beloved Church, the mercy of the risen Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Christ meets us wherever we are and says, Peace be with you. Let us proclaim together the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen. Having been assured of Christ's mercy and peace and forgiveness, we can offer all of those things to one another. So the peace of Christ be with you and, all, and also with you. Let us share signs of peace with one another. As we seek to hear God's word through scripture and proclamation, let us prepare our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Living God, help us to hear your holy word with open hearts so that we may truly understand and in understanding that we may believe and in believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Amen. Our first scripture reading comes from Psalm 150. Please join together in our responsive reading of the psalm as it is found in your bulletin. Let us listen for the word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise God in God's sanctuary. Praise God in God's mighty firmament. Praise God for God's mighty deeds. 
Praise God according to God's surprising greatness. Praise God with tambourine and dance. Praise God with strings and pipe. Praise God with clanging cymbals. Praise God with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. I'd love to invite my young friends forward for our time for young disciples. Hi. How are you guys? I'm glad to see you. Hey, Rory. It's good to see you, bud. I'm so glad to see you all today. You know what, this is great. I thought I was going, only gonna have one picture to show you, but now I have, I have a couple. This is exciting. So, I want, Rory, come over here, because you're, you're gonna know someone in this picture. Will you come over here? Okay, well, my kids will know who this is. This is a picture. Well, my first question is, do you recognize anyone in this picture? Yeah? yeah? Mm -hmm. Who do you recognize? I'll give you a hint. That's me. <laughs> and let's see. These other people, Mr. Gilbride, he was up here a little bit ago. Mrs. Kernan, Mr. Powers, Mrs. Ellis, Mr. Ward, Mr. Bidler, he was up here a minute ago, Mrs. Foster, and Rory's mom, right? Miss Caroline. 
these, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Do you recognize your mom there? That's your mom there, Rory. These were the first eight people who I met at this church. When you're coming to a church to be their pastor, they only let you meet like seven or eight people first, which is kind of funny because there's a lot more than seven or eight people out here, aren't there? There are. These seven or eight, these eight people were in charge of telling me all about this church, and they were in charge of telling this church all about me five years ago when I came to be the pastor here. But you know what's crazy? These eight people only were able to tell me a small little bit about this church because so much more of this church was here to learn about. And I didn't know, I knew you two, but I didn't know you, Rory, yet. I didn't know, look, this is the picture they gave me. And Rory, do you know what? You're not in this yet because I don't even think you were born yet. That's this picture, there's MJ and Ben. This is, when, this is on Easter one year when we were doing our Time for Young Disciples. And even though I'd already met these eight people, I didn't know all of these other people who were going to be such a gift and a part of our life here today and the life of our church today. I was listening to the choir sing that beautiful song, and the only, ro- the only people I could see from where I was sitting were the, were the people in the back row. But do you know what? While they were singing, I thought about every single one of them, and I could t- none of them are in this first picture. None of them are the people who I first met in this church. But I could tell you a really special story about every single one of them. Some of them are sad, hard stories, and some of them are laughing stories filled with so much fun. And part of what we do in the church together all the time is we care about one another and we love one another. And I am so glad that even though these were the only eight people I got to know first, I have known so much more love and so many more opportunities to see God at work in our life together. And I give thanks for that today. And I hope you will join me in giving thanks for that because one of the great things about God is we don't know what God's gonna do next. And that can be a little scary, but it's also a gift. And it reminds us that God is in charge and we haven't even begun to see the lengths of what God can do. And that is part of what I'm gonna celebrate today. So will you all pray with me? And will you all pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for our life together. Help us to love with your love. To share that love with the world. And to always look to you for new things you are doing. Amen. Thank you. You can go to music with Mr. Carpenter or with your families or to the nursery. Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Verses 19 through 31. Listen for the word of the Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other's disciple, the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of 
of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, You have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. So now what? No, seriously, what are we supposed to do? Rachel mentioned last week that I have never been here before. I have never been in the sanctuary with you all on the Sunday after Easter. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, it kind of felt like a grand ending. The big finale. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and I thought that was kind of it. The culmination of Christianity that is Easter. But you all are still here. And John is still telling his story, his gospel story. I thought we would get to chapter 20, verse 18, and I would turn the page, and there would be John's bibliography and some very nice acknowledgments. But there seems to be more to be said. There seems to be more to be recounted. There seems to be more to be done. After Mary from Magdala shares her powerful witness in the garden on Easter morning when she said, I have seen the Lord. So now what? Well, John's gospel draws us back into the world of the disciples. And the disciples have decided to lock themselves in a room. This is not exactly what I would expect after Mary had told them that she had seen the risen Jesus. But then again, as Rachel mentioned last week, the disciples' Easter was not exactly an Easter full of pomp and circumstance. While Mary saw the dirt underneath the fingernails of the resurrected Christ, the disciples' Easter could be described as empty, for they were alone. We are reminded of the picture of Palm Sunday, and the glorious entry into Jerusalem just days before this story took place. The disciples were parading behind Jesus as he was riding on a donkey. They walked over the same palms and the same coats that Jesus did. They received the same crowds that rushed to hear Jesus' words and feel his healing touch. The disciples were the entourage of the big man on campus, but overnight they lost their status. The crowds who praised them now berated them. The city that was hospitable was now dangerous. The streets were littered with wreckage after a mob. The doors were slammed shut, eyes peeked behind curtains, and walls were pierced only by the sound of whispering gossip and judgment. So who could the disciples turn to in this time of isolation? Well, Jesus, of course, but Jesus was no longer there. 
the man who called them from the Sea of Galilee and brought them all the way to this very dangerous city has seemed to have left them stranded. All that the disciples had in the wake of Jesus' death was his last words before he died and the news that he was risen. They could recall him saying, Just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. The Holy Spirit will teach you everything. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. These are some of the last things that Jesus said before he left the disciples. And Jesus' words were like a torn pieces of a map without the central key needed to put it all together. Sure, they had his word on their hearts. Sure, they heard that Christ was risen. But they didn't know what came next. The disciples were helpless. Isolated and helpless, what was the next chapter of this Easter story? Well, whatever it was, it began in fear. John tells us clearly in the first line of our text for this morning, it was evening, the doors were locked, and the disciples were afraid. Even in a world of resurrection, there was still room for fear. The fear of the disciples in this story bridges the gap between the seasons of Lent and Easter. It continues the journey that we have been walking, even though we assuredly have entered into new terrain. In fact, the fear of the disciples demand that we not cling to the shallow bliss of thinking that the Easter story ended with Christ's resurrection, but it demands that we acknowledge our fears and what Christ has to say about them. So right here, right now, I will admit for us all what our biggest fear is. Sitting in the front pews of the sanctuary. <laughs> I know, even mentioning the possibility brings shivers up my spine. It seems as if the world would be a better place if there were no front rows in any space of public participation. I remember the first Presbyterian church I ever visited by myself. I snuck in the back door and was surprised to find fellow backbenchers. I tiptoed my way down the side aisle, half looking, half looking away and half giving a nod of affirmation and solidarity. Eventually, I saw my spot a few rows from the back, about two-thirds of the way from the center chancel, just far enough into the sanctuary so it could be known I was there, and just far enough away from the eyes of the preacher that I wouldn't be caught in their stare. So I get it. We are all preaching to the choir here in our fear of sitting in the few couple front rows. I was not surprised last week as I gazed out over this beautiful sanctuary full of faithful people on an Easter morning, packed in the pews side by side, except for the complete emptiness of the first two rows. I understand how lonely it is to take the long trek from the back down the center aisle and sit by your lonesome in this oasis that is called pew number one and two. I understand how helpless one feels when one is in the front, even though no one is necessarily paying attention to you. No one likes to be the center of attention. Trust me, if it was not contractually obligated to be up here, I would be snug safely somewhere in there so that way I couldn't be seen. So as our empty pews can attest to, from one Sunday to the next, in the first couple of rows, even in our present season of Easter resurrection, 
there is still room for fear. Because our sanctuary is not the only place in God's creation that has empty front rows. There are plenty of workplaces where we would rather Jesus' justice not show up. There are plenty of community meetings where we would rather not be seen or heard. There are plenty of neighborhoods where we would rather stay on this side of the road or this side of the bridge. And there is that issue, whether personal or societal, that we would rather not face. But we know that maybe God is calling us right there. Where there is a front and center of something, we, and myself included, would rather stay far out of the way. Because what Holy Week told us was that getting in the way can be isolating. It can, fear, it can feel helpless. It can be fearful. And when we are afraid, we don't want to be front and center. We would rather huddle behind a locked door and let our fear win out. Even when Christ is risen. But then Thomas enters the room. And Thomas does not seem to be afraid. Or at least he doesn't show his fear in the same way. We know this because while Jesus appears to the disciples for the first time, Thomas is not there. Instead, Thomas is more like Mary. While the disciples are locked behind closed doors, Mary is the one roaming the outskirts of Jerusalem in the dark and talking to strangers, seeking desperately to find Jesus. Similarly, Thomas is not staying behind in locked rooms either. Instead, he is out there somewhere in the Jerusalem that once was hospitable and now has turned hostile. So when Thomas comes back and hears from the disciples that Jesus appeared before them, Thomas starts making demands. It is here where history would like us to talk about Thomas as if he was a doubter. But Thomas is less of a doubter and more of a victim of his circumstance. In fact, the Greek word for doubt does not appear anywhere in this story, but instead it only talks about belief and unbelief. So I can't blame Thomas for not believing the words of the disciples. For one, the disciples did not believe Mary when she first told them. And for two, Thomas already had physical proof of how hard life can be. Thomas walked the streets of the city that turned against him. He would have been able to hold the cross in his hand. He would have been able to hear the gossip and judgment that was reserved for Jesus and his followers. Anyone who lives in this world can fall prey to cynicism or of keeping faith at arm's length, especially when Jesus isn't showing up to us in physical form. So while the disciples were able to overcome their fear by seeing the very real Jesus, Thomas did not have that luxury. Instead, in order for him to believe, he needed proof. Proof to match the hardships of what he saw. He needed to see for his own eyes what this world could do. He needed to touch the pain that he experienced. He needed an Easter that went through Holy Week. A world where resurrection still had room for fear, but still said something about it. And that is what Thomas received. A week after Easter, Thomas was with the disciples, and even though the doors were shut, Jesus appeared again. He called Thomas by name, and he stood in front of him, front and center. 
Jesus took Thomas's hands, the ones that knew the pain of the world, and he said, put your finger here on the place where they nailed my hands. Know that even though this city deserted you, you will never be alone. He said, Thomas, here, put your finger in my side and see, even though you do not always have the answers, I will always guide you. Even though this world is full of reasons for you to fear, I invite you to acknowledge that fear, Thomas, and still believe that there is something greater out there that will help you face it. Please, Thomas, believe. In that moment, I imagine a heaviness left Thomas. And he was able to reclaim a lightness he might have known in childhood. A simple yet powerful presence that is quick to trust. And as this trust set in, I picture Thomas's brow begin to unfurrow, his lips curl away from a frown, his eyes begin to wrinkle. Because in that moment, Thomas was given what he needed, an invitation that knows the fear of the world, yet promises something greater all the same. An experience of a God more powerful than the weight of the world, a life with that God that proves to be much lighter than the burdens that we carry, a hope that the greatest fear cannot be greater than the one who journeyed through death and was willing to come back just so that others may have life. Space for resurrection and fear at the same time. If there was ever a man who faced his fears, it would be Howard Thurman. Howard Thurman was a black, man, a black American theologian who was one of the first influential teachers of Christian nonviolence during the era of segregation. It is Howard Thurman's words who shaped the calling and movements of civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr. Thurman's words have inspired countless Christians who seek to find the balance between Jesus' radical love and a world that sometimes feels without it. In his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, Thurman tells a story of how he learned to face the fears created by segregation and discrimination. He writes, One night I was awakened by my mother, who told me to dress quickly and come with her out to the backyard to see a comet. I shall never forget it if I live forever. My mother stood with me, her hand resting on my shoulder, while I, in utter speechless awe, beheld the great spectacle with its fan of light spreading across the heavens. The silence was like, was like that of absolute motion. Finally, after what seemed to me an interminable time interval, I found my speech. With bated breath, I said, what will happen to us if that comet falls out of the sky? My mother's silence was so long that I looked from the comet to her face. And there I beheld something in her countenance that I had seen only once before when I came into her room and found her in prayer. When she spoke, she said, Nothing will happen to us, Howard. God will take care of us. Thurman continues, Many things have I seen since that night. Times without number I have learned that life is hard, as hard as crucible steel. 
But as the years have unfolded, the majestic power of my mother's glowing words has come back again and again, beating out its rhythmic chant in my own spirit. Here are the faith and the awareness that overcome fear and transform it into the power to strive, to achieve, and not to yield. A world of resurrection that still has room for fear. Whether it is from Thurman or Thomas, we hear that faith in Jesus acknowledges our fears, yet still gives us courage to face them anyway. So now what? There are a lot of empty front rows in the world, and the risen Christ is calling us to be a risen and present people. And even though I am not expecting the first couple of pews to be filled next Sunday morning, God is calling us to be front and center in some place or in some thing. For we know our neighborhood needs attention. We know our society needs justice. We know our families need love, and all of us need more grace. For Thomas to be front and center was to share the good news of Jesus. For Thurman, it was to preach hope and justice amidst segregation. After Easter, when Jesus appeared before his disciples, he met them where they were. He knew the world that they lived in, and he knew the fears that they faced. And he gave them the spirit and faith that they needed to do the work of God amidst those fears anyway. And no matter what it may be for you and for us, may we know that the risen Christ meets us where we are with faith and courage for the road ahead. May it be so. Amen. Friends, as you are able, please stand and join us singing hymn number 817, We Walk by Faith and Not by Sight. Join me as we affirm our faith through these words from the Apostles' Creed. 
As we seek to follow Christ in this world, let us state what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, an important part of our life together is found in prayer, which is why we return to God in this way each and every time we are together. Let us join our hearts in prayer. We thank you, redeeming God, for the glorious message that you bring new hope out of despair, resurrection out of defeat, and new life out of death. You call dry bones to dance. You give living water so that new life blossoms. You urge flowers to push their way through winter-hardened soil. And we celebrate the ways we see your new life all around us. But we also bring before you, O oh God, today the dead and dried out places in our lives. Forgotten dreams, lapsed intentions, hardened resentments, griefs to which we cling. And we pray fervently, O oh God, that through your touch we might discover newness of life. That through your peace and presence we might discover what resurrection really looks like and feels like. In the midst of oppressive fatigue and exhaustion, O oh God, we let our fears and anxieties get the better of us too often. They come out sideways at the wrong people. They lead us into sleepless nights and cause stomach aches and headaches that won't relent. And so we pray this day that you would travel the distance that we have traveled from you, O oh God. Dispel our anxieties about ourselves, our past, our future. Quiet our fears that consume us late into the night. Open from the outside the hearts we unlock to you from within. Help us to hear your voice beneath and above all the other voices we hear. Remind us that there is a calm at the heart of the storm, and it is you. Feed our faith on the certainty of your presence and all of your promises. We bring before you, O oh God, the places in our lives and in our world where despair reigns unchallenged. With deep grief, we bring our concerns for Ukraine, for other parts of the world where the cycle of violence goes on and on, for more and more lost at gunpoint. Point us toward actions, however small, which lead to a more hopeful future for ourselves and for our world. Help us to hold graciously those questions to which there are no easy answers, and in the pain and scarring of this world, help us to identify your hands wounded among us. Gracious God, we thank you that you walk beside us as we journey through this life. Because you are with us, we accept each new day as a gift. Because you are with us, we gain courage to meet the challenge of each day, choosing life and not death as we move ever closer to you. As you raised Jesus from the dead, 
raise us to new life day by day. And hear us now as we join in the prayer he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. My friends, as we seek to give our full selves to God in this life of faith, even amid fears or anxieties that come with us, one of the ways that we do that is by offering to God the gifts of our lives and work. And so as we seek to share the good news of the risen Christ with the world, let us give generously of our tithes and offerings. Gracious God, you pray for us. Ye who are weary, come home, and it is a gift to know we can come home to you. And so for the weariness of this world, O oh God, we pray that these gifts will be received into that world and that they might be used in service for your kingdom alone. 
May they be blessed beyond measure. May they be multiplied for work in your kingdom that all might know your call. You who are weary, come home. Bless these gifts. Multiply them. May all that we do in our life together be pleasing to you. Amen. And friends, join us singing our closing hymn today, number 305. Come sing, O church, in joy. church we hope that you will come and celebrate the journey that we have had these past five years as we celebrate rachel's five-year anniversary with us in the memorial garden with some cake and refreshments beloved church god is calling us to be front and center somewhere or in something so as we go there may we remember the story of thomas and trust that christ meets us wherever we are and helps us face our fears with courage and faith. And as we go, may the peace of Jesus Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again to this community.